This is Just Because, part of the Brothers Before Others podcast network. Just Because is where your host, David Brothers, goes to have conversations that are important or fun, but don't fit into the limited run nature of his other podcast projects like Speaker Talks or The Way We Move. Enjoy the conversation, give us a rating on iTunes, and make sure you tell your friends. You can find the show notes at essays.imdavidbrothers.com. Next up, a conversation David had just because. Welcome to Just Because. We are live on location with friend of the show, Branwyn Bigglestone. How are you doing, Branwyn? I'm doing all right. How are you? Pretty good. I'm excited to talk about the women's convention. Me too. Uh, So tell us how you found out about the women's convention Uh, and also what it is. Yeah, Um, (laughs) there's been some confusion around that. The women's convention was put on by the people who did the March on Washington in January, the the day after the inauguration that ended up spreading all over the world and was like the biggest mass protest in history. And uh, so they did this march, which was cool and really awesome, but then what? Mm-hmm. And so that's why they went on to do the convention. Did you go to the march? I did. Uh, as soon as it was announced, I decided to just go for it and go, you mm-hmm. know. And um, and I had family I could stay with. Uh, my friend Tracy went with me, and uh, we met up with some other people there, and it was amazing. And... Um, it, f- it was a really positive thing to do at a time when I and so many others had lost all hope. Yeah. Did it help with that feeling? It did. I mean, it still felt... I mean, that, that sense of hopelessness still stayed with me for a while, and it's still kind of there. Yeah. Um, but it did help, and it was really amazing just to be around so many people who, um, who weren't happy about what was going on and, and who wanted to make their voices heard. Mm-hmm. And do you know who organized it? Was it just a grassroots thing? It was, um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're like, three women who were the the main faces mm-hmm. of it I think uh, but there there are lots of other people who are involved and I think more I mean I don't know that much about it but I get the impression that more people have gotten involved over time because of uh, criticism they got mm-hmm. at the time you know there's criticism around it not being accessible Mm -hmm. to people with disabilities and there's also a lot of criticism that I mostly know about because I know somebody who's a sex worker that sex workers were not included in part of the platform you know protecting Mm -hmm. women who work in the 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 industry Um, you know which is always kind of a bit of a controversial subject in feminism which is stupid because I think it's completely 100% a feminist issue Um, and a labor issue a labor issue and everything a criminalization Mm -hmm. issue Um, again I don't know as much about that I'm aware of it because people I know who work in the industry were very upset about it and Mm -hmm. I think still are to this day 
But, so they ended up announcing this convention a couple of months ago, and I thought, I don't know how the hell they're going to get that together in such a short period of time. Mm -hmm. You know, it's weird. They picked Detroit, but it's also totally fucking awesome that they picked Detroit. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, New York, the Bay Area, L.A., Chicago, those places always get all the attention. And I thought it was really awesome that attention was going to be put on, you know, a place like Detroit Mm -hmm. in a state like Michigan. You know, that there are a lot of local issues. There are a lot of, uh, you know, not just, not just of one kind, but of everything. There's, there's immigration, there's the declining uh, manufacturing industry, mm-hmm. there's um, the water crisis, there's everything right there, mm-hmm. all in, in that one place. So I was excited uh, by the idea of going to a women's convention in Detroit. Okay. What made you want to, like, was there a specific trigger that made you want to attend the convention, or was it more because you kind of knew the like the context surrounding it? Uh, like, did you have a goal going in? The context around it, but also I remember one of the things that I've thought about, you know, since the election, since November, is that so people today they're like, oh man, I'm gonna write this totally devastating tweet and that's gonna fix everything. Except clearly that's not true. Yeah. And you got to do much more. Uh, but we're all so distracted by life, and uh, n- we don't have the same kind of communication and organizational skills that we used to. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, because we are so used to communicating by text message and Facebook and Twitter and whatever. And, um, and I mean, you, you hear organizers from the 50s and 60s talk and they were in it for the long haul. Mm-hmm. You know, they, the, you work for a month straight trying to register people to vote in Alabama and you're happy if you got like three people registered yeah because of how fucked the situation was and um, it that's what it took to get things done and the organizers were dedicated to put that work and time in and I don't see that today mm-hmm. and I know that that's a shortcoming in me And one of the things I thought about as I was at the Women's March, you know, I was like, oh man, this is so awesome. How the fuck are we gonna keep up the momentum? Yeah. You know, and I know I've gotten mired down in work and the family business and my house and, you know, family stuff and whatever's going on. And, um, you know, I mean, how do you have that balance in your life? Mm-hmm. And where do you even start? Because it's such, it's so overwhelming, just everything. Mm-hmm. There's so many things fucked up. I'm swearing so much. But, you know, <laughs> I mean. Yeah, it's true. There's, like, if you're a certain demographic, like you're under attack, but then every other demographic is under, like, different kinds of attack. Yeah. You know? Like, um, Trump and his cronies are 
stripping uh, police inspections from police bureau bureaus under the Obama era. They were like examining their processes and being like, hey, like, please scale back like beating people up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, Trump and his friends are like, no, that sounds great. Do more of that. Yeah. And then, you know, there's the dream, uh, the dreamers thing, which is atrocious. The uh -huh. Planned Parenthood attacks, uh, several shootings. Yeah. Yeah. We should also mention, by the way, you're from Oakland, which is like a very politically active. It has a history of being politically active mm -hmm. just as a city, as a culture, as a community. Yeah. Um, I mostly know you from well, we met because of comic books. I think yeah. it's fair to say. Actually, at Emerald City Comic Con was when we first kind of like started talking because there were blackface cosplayers. Yeah, we we had not met in person. We you know we just kind of peripherally got yeah. uh, in touch, sort of because we saw different blackface back <laughs> blackface cosplayers. Yeah. Which is absurd. <laughs> <laughs> but so my main, when I hear convention, I think of a Comic-Con, you know, like yeah. lots of fans, there's costumes, it's kind of a boisterous party atmosphere. Yeah. What was it like at the women's convention? Completely different. Yeah. I mean, we were boisterous, don't get me wrong, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah you know, I mean, I grew up going to science fiction and fantasy conventions, which are similar to comic book conventions, um, but the women's convention was it was so different you know if you're involved in comic books at all beyond just going to your local shop and buying some books and going home and reading them mm -hmm. you probably noticed that there's all these you know bullshit controversies about uh people freaking out about like diversity in comics and um, bringing in new voices and new stories and new perspectives and everyone freaks the fuck out and attacks each other and there's a lot of harassment and um, everyone gets so defensive and it drives me completely insane and it's part of why you know even though I've been in this industry for over a decade Mm -hmm. at Image and off and on for what 15 years before that in the retail side of things and mm -hmm. I've known you know creators for, for decades um, it drives me nuts it just drives me nuts I I, I don't want to go online I don't want to look at comic book sites and um, again part of that is you know, do I want to get mired down in it because there's so much else going on? Mm -hmm. But it disgusts me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And and the women's convention, one one big difference was that, you know, with the march, and again, I'm sure there was a lot of arguing and fighting behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. But from from what I've seen, is that when the organizers were told you guys were not inclusive enough mm -hmm. of people with disabilities you were not inclusive enough um with this and that they they, they learn from it you know mm -hmm. they're like we want to learn from this and we want to do better and so at the convention those things were incorporated into the platform and while i was at the convention i heard new complaints mm -hmm. Like, uh, I thought while I was there that 
you know, I thought it was really nice that they had local people in the programming talking about their organizations and um, work that they've done. And, um, but then I went to one panel and there were some attendees there who expressed that they really felt that the local uh, organizations had been ignored and not incorporated. Mm. And uh, they were upset about how expensive it was to attend and you know, how are those of us who live here supposed to attend a convention in our own hometown if we can't afford it? And I know that those, you know, that got to the organizers. There were complaints that uh, there wasn't enough trans representation, you know, mm. uh, enough um, inclusivity around trans women and trans issues, and also of native populations, you know, mm. and, um, you know, some of that was included, but there probably could have been more. Yeah. And I mean, I know that I know that the organizers heard these complaints and are talking about them because they said they did at the at the last you know big assembly thing. They they talked about it and they're like, "We hear you. We will do better next time." And when do you ever hear that yeah. in comic books? without somebody having a tantrum first. Mm -hmm. You know, you have the tantrum publicly, and then you walk it back. And then it's, I'm so glad I could start this conversation. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it was just handled so differently at this convention, and it was so refreshing. It's, it's much more productive that way. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's genuine. It's not, oh shit, I got in trouble. Mm -hmm. I, I better do some damage control. And, um, so I really appreciated that. I really appreciated that everyone was so nice to each other. <laughs> you know, like somebody, I mentioned that there were a lot of changes about the convention and somebody I've met through comic books asked, I'd like to hear more. And I said, well, for starts, nobody tried to stab anyone in the eye with a pen over a seat <laughs> in a panel. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, you know, somebody, somebody's battery was dying, so I pulled out my charger and gave it to her, you know, and yeah. let her use it. Somebody needed a pen, you know. Oh, I have a pen. Like, ten people are like, <laughs> here, let me give you a pen. And, and it, there was just a sense of that we were all in it together. It's like genuine solidarity. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, you're going to have a different feeling when it's a 5,000-person convention versus mm -hmm. a... $150,000 convention. $150,000 attendance convention. But, you know, it, that was all completely different. Mm -hmm. And also just the logistics of it all. We got lunch every day. Like from the convention? Yes. <laughs> they had breakfast in the morning. It wasn't breakfast I could eat because it was all bagels. But they had yeah. coffee and juice. <laughs> and so they're like, hey, everybody get here early and we'll have like, you know, an opening thing and you can get breakfast. And and then, oh, between, you know, the panels at 12 and 12.15, make sure to grab your lunch and we can all eat together at the next thing. Yeah. And, and there were vegan and gluten-free options for the lunch. And I had no idea going into it. I was already thinking like, you know, walking around downtown Detroit trying to figure out, okay, I can get lunch there. and that place might have a really long line because I'm used to Comic-Con. Yeah. Where just the idea of getting a meal is 
it takes foresight. Oh my God, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but the women's convention was like, nah, we don't want you to have to worry about that. We don't want you to miss any of the programming because you're trying to fulfill human, basic human needs, mm -hmm. you know? That's really cool. Yeah. That um, brings to mind something you said earlier that uh, you mentioned the pricing. Yeah. Uh, how much was it? It was about $300 per person. That's maybe even more than San Diego Comic-Con. Probably, yeah. yeah. It's uh, It was a three-day show. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they did provide food. Mm -hmm. uh, but, I mean, they had, like, a Hall H, basically. Mm -hmm. Although, in this case, it was Hall D. And um, <laughs> so there were the big assemblies where there wasn't any conflicting programming at the same time. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. And that's where, you know, you had the main speakers. Like Maxine you, Waters and them. Maxine Waters, Gillibrand, um, uh, Rose McGowan got the biggest press, I think, but I do not think she was the best speaker. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, not to belittle her message or anything, just talking about how the speech came across. And, uh, but, you know, I mean, it was, you know, a few thousand people in there. So that, that isn't cheap, you know? And they had some sponsorship for the convention, but I don't know how much. And it, it, it does cost money to put all this stuff on. Mm -hmm. And I, I know that there were additional security concerns. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I mean, all of the organizers get daily death threats. Like, every single day. Yeah and have for months on end. So, you know, they, they all had security with them. And I actually thought about it ahead of time that, you know, this, this is gonna be an obvious target. Yeah, especially, uh, like, news keeps coming out where there's a mass shooting and then you find out that he was abusive or a harasser or, like, yep. generally crappy to women. Yep. Yeah, yep. that is extremely depressing. Yes. <laughs> Yes, no, I didn't talk about it ahead of time. Yeah. Because I didn't want anyone to freak out. Mm. But I thought about it. You know, I was like, I'm, because I took my mom to this for her birthday. I was like, I'm going to take my mom to a situation that might actually not be very safe. Yeah. How was it on the floor? Like, did it seem, did it feel unsafe? Like, it, was there a security, was there a large security presence? No, it wasn't a large security presence. I mean, you saw it at the big assemblies you know because mm -hmm. I mean there were United States senators there and stuff yeah but, um, you know so you saw the security around backstage but other than that there wasn't a ton of security and um, my mom talked to some of the convention center security on the last day mm -hmm. and she said that they were just bored out of their skulls that's good no it was awesome like I, I worried but it turned out to be over nothing. There was one day that some counter protesters showed up with, you know, the, the bullhorn and the blown up photos of what they said were aborted fetuses. And, mm -hmm. but it was a small group and nobody fucking cared. And I mean, people stopped to take photos and then they moved on. <laughs> and then a couple hours later, when I was back up on that level, they were gone. Yeah. And that was all that I saw. That's cool. Yeah. And, uh, you mentioned that there were there was panel programming. Mm -hmm. uh, what kind of panels did you go to? Like, what kind of caught your eye? Um, it was it was hard choosing. There were a lot of really great panels. I mean, it wasn't just 
like strictly oh man sexism am i right you know it wasn't <laughs> like that it was <laughs> it was about you know like the legal system yeah. and the courts and you know just all kinds of stuff so the first day um well the big panel that ended up being like the panel of the weekend mm -hmm. was the confronting white womenhood panel and i got into that one that was on day one that was on day one wow and because again that's a big complaint that the march organizers had gotten you know that they tried to address while leading up to the march and it's also a huge complaint that feminism in general has gotten that the feminist movement has been a movement primarily for white women mm -hmm. and that white women just don't get it why that's even a thing they're like but but we're all ladies yeah. <laughs> when did when did intersectionality come into like consciousness like as a thing even i feel like it really blew up recently like but i want to say it dates from maybe the 80s or 90s was when it was first coined okay but like recently in terms of feminism especially yeah like within the last five years or so i think yeah um, i think it was pushed because like women of color have a like a platform now like yeah. you can't just they're on twitter they're on tumblr uh youtube videos yeah, the panel was, it was presented by two white women. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was an African-American woman there who did not take a very active role. Mm -hmm. And that was intentional, you know, because one of the messages given in the panel was, it's, it's not anybody's responsibility to educate us on how to not be ignorant idiots, mm. you know? Um, we need to take on that responsibility ourselves. So the panel was not, the room it was in was not big enough. And the organizer apologized. She said, I'm sorry, I really did not think that there would be this much interest in it. You know, mm -hmm. they offered me a bigger room and I turned it down. But they had to turn away a lot of people. My mom didn't make it in because she showed up, you know, a little bit late. Yeah. And so they added another session the next day. And my mom was like so intent on getting in that she got there early and she was second in line. <laughs> and, you know, it's like they were waiting for the new iPhone or something. Yeah. You know? <laughs> And she's like messaging me while I was in a different panel. And she's like, I'm second in line. <laughs> oh man, I got in, I'm, si I'm sitting, I got a good seat. And then I get a message from her saying, well, they just moved it to another room again. And now we're all running down the hall trying to get a seat. <laughs> and now I'm at the back because I was at the front. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they, they added the second session. The room they put it in wasn't big enough. So at the last minute, they're like, oh shit, we need to move this to a bigger room to accommodate more people. Mm -hmm. And all of the like speakers on the main stage after that commented, they're like, fuck guys, that is so <laughs> awesome that you guys were all into that. Like, yeah. I am blown away. We broke out into groups. And so the people who ran it gave examples of how unintentionally have uh, hurt people of color mm -hmm. and other minorities, you know, they had us break out into groups to talk about things that 
you know, at in retrospect, we realize we're, we're not helpful or we're fucked up. Mm-hmm. And to also think of solutions. So, so it was almost a workshop more than like a lecture. Yeah, that was the thing. It would, that was another difference from comic book conventions. A lot of the things were, they were called, I think it's pronounced planaries. Okay. So like you have the, the panelists talk for a while and then we break into groups. Okay, cool. And work on things together. And so, like, we talked about one thing that we could do, you know, because so often, you know, they talk about, who was it, Emmett Till, who... Yeah, he, they said that he whistled at a white lady. Yeah, and he was yeah. Lynched. And then, like, after his entire family was dead and she was on her deathbed, she's like, oh, by the way, I totally lied yeah. about that. Never happened. Uh, he was psychic trauma from that alone. Yeah, and so th- they talked about that and, and, and about how, you know, white womanhood has been used to inflict so much damage. Mm-hmm. So we talked about different, you know, one, one thing that would be helpful is different methods of conflict resolution. Like, maybe not immediately being like, oh, that guy's looking at me and I feel intimidated. I'm going to call the cops. Yeah. Because that usually doesn't end well. Yeah. You know? Um, also, while you were talking, I looked it up. Uh, a woman named Kimberly Williams Crenshaw uh, introduced intersectional theory to feminism in the 80s. Like the okay. idea was around before, but it wasn't part of the platform, so to speak. Okay. But she kind of forced the issue. Good. You know, I wanted to go because as, as woke as I might think I am, you know, the fact of the matter is that periodically I get a reminder that I'm not. Yeah. You know, and I don't want to just take for granted that you know, a lot of people in the Bay Area, a lot of people from Oakland think, well, I'm from Oakland, I already know it all. Like, <laughs> I'm already totally woke and like, I'm not doing damage in the world, but yeah. Sometimes you can't see the damage that you're doing. Yeah, yeah. And I, I want to, I want to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. Yeah. Um, you went to one panel of it Hopefully I'm not jumping ahead or anything, no, but it was fine. called uh, Crimigration, I think. Yeah, that was about, um, one of the things they talked about were the dreamers and um, and about that, you know, the criminalization of immigration. Mm-hmm. So even people fleeing uh, conflict in, um, you know, war zones and drug wars and, uh environmental devastation uh, are treated as criminals Mm -hmm. and locked up and that a big reason for that is because of the prison industrial complex people make hell of money off locking other human beings up yeah you know it's a business and it's also uh I want to say slave labor. Other people like might call it underpaid labor. I don't. <laughs> wasn't there a news report about some of the firefighters uh, fighting the fires in, nor- in the North Bay yeah. recently were prisoners who were being paid like pennies an hour? Yeah, I actually have a friend who used to do that. She was yeah. a prison prisoner firefighter and she loved it. And when she got out of prison, she wanted to be a firefighter mm-hmm. and she couldn't because of her prison record. That's so absurd. Yeah. But I think she, that also speaks to the prison industrial complex that where once you in, they once you're in, they want to keep you in. Yeah. 
which is why we disenfranchise voters if they're felons. Mm -hmm. You can't get jobs. Uh, one of the speakers I, I saw, I can't remember which panel it was at at the moment, but um, you know, the ban the box mm -hmm. uh, movement to take off resumes if you've ever been arrested. Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, I could have gotten arrested at a, you know, animal rights protest when I was 15, mm -hmm. never convicted, or, you know, at 18 even, and never convicted, but it's, it's lying on an application if you don't say, yes, I was arrested. Mm -hmm. Even if it has, the job has nothing to do with what the arrest was for, you have to say if you were arrested. And if you don't, it's grounds for dismissal later, like mm -hmm. if they want an excuse to fire you. So I guess it counts as fraud or something like that. Yep. So you're almost, you're just being punished for something that didn't actually happen. Yeah. Or even if it did happen, you yeah. know, it's like you've paid your debt to society. Mm -hmm. There has to be a way to have, you know, people re-enter society in a meaningful and honest way, but as it is right now, they get forced into situations where, you know, it's either incredibly low-paying jobs or it's um, illegal jobs, Yeah. you know, paid under the table or drug dealing or whatever, you know. Yeah. If that's the only job available to you, you're gonna fucking do it because you need a job. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think of a not dumb way to phrase this, but so it's called the Women's Convention. Mm -hmm. Were the panel specifically from the perspective of uh, what women can do about issues or just more generally like these are things that affect everybody. And since you're here in this room, we can tailor the conversation to you. I think it was, I think it was both. Okay. Um, you know, I mean, one of the things that I thought about while I was sitting there, and there's, it's this giant assembly of, you know, 4,000 women all riled up and on yeah. their feet and clapping and yelling. <laughs> and I'm, you know, people like, oh, man, men should be scared. And I'm thinking, no, men should be fucking grateful. Yeah. Because the issues that, you know, that women work on benefit everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, if if you're working on childcare that benefits everybody. If, you know, a disability rights advocate is working on uh, healthcare reform that benefits everybody. The reproductive rights. Reproductive for everything, yeah. you know. There's definitely an angle to all of it, also with the, the structure of it all, with the, you know, breaking out into groups to, to plan. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, there's uh, definitely uh, pushing people in, in the direction of engaging and addressing things and, and working on solutions. And also not just looking at it as a lens of somebody who wants to fight for women's rights. Yeah. Because it's bigger than that. There's intersectionality. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think part of what makes the Women's Convention so interesting to me is that there's a long, not a history, a long tradition um, I think is a better word of women leading revolutionary thought and like movements mm -hmm. or being or if not leading being an integral part behind the scenes and not really getting the credit they deserve yeah oh like the Black Panthers <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's it's a failing you know that keeps happening where yeah. you know, they get stitched out of history 
Black Lives Matter, it started to happen too. It was a couple of women, I, I believe. Yeah, one, uh, one of them, Alicia Garza, she's from the Bay Area, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, even the, um, the hashtag MeToo campaign, there was a black lady 10 years ago who kind of started the yeah. like, foundation of that. She was one of the speakers at the convention. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they had her come out um, the, the first day because the first day it started at like 9.30 a.m. I was that was another difference. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine starting at 9.30 <laughs> on day one. Yeah. But she was one of the speakers that day. Uh, and yeah, I, I didn't know. I, I didn't know that the Me Too campaign was like an existing thing that was, you know, more far-reaching. I wish I'd known because as soon as all of the jaded haters got online and were like, you guys, why are you even bothering with the Me Too stuff? You know, it's it, it, you're not gonna convince any men that, that yeah. sexism happens. And I'm thinking, I wasn't even thinking of it that way. I was thinking of it as a like solidarity thing. And yeah. you know, because we are taught to not talk about it and feel shame around it. So anyway. But what other panels did you see? Uh, let's see here. Um, one was Courts Matter, especially to women. And that, that was the only one I went to that only had one speaker and she basically talked about kind of the structure of the federal courts, mm. how different cases can affect women and um, and how, uh, you know, the way they're structured and the, the way that uh, judicial nominees are happening right now are, are really bad for women and it's mm -hmm. only going to get worse and not just women for everybody. Yeah. You know, and, and that it's been this like long overreaching plan that the right has had and they've executed really well. We're all going to get <laughs> fucked. We're all going to get <laughs> fucked so hard. <laughs> While you were saying that, I was thinking that almost like when someone like a, an entity or an organization or a person is attacking women, it's almost like the tip of a spear that yeah. like everybody else is right behind them, yep. ready to be punctured, mm -hmm. like a symptom of a disease. Yeah, the women are the soft target yeah. for attacking everybody. Yeah. Another panel I went to was, uh, it was called Duplication Overview of National, State, and Local Organizations. So basically, like, let's not recreate the wheel every time. Mm -hmm. You know, there may already be an organization doing a lot of what you want to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's coordinate on the local, state, and federal level. I think that was where we talked about a lot of the uh, the ban the box thing mm -hmm. because they had some speakers from um, you know or organizations working on oh god I'm drawing a blank now but one of them did a lot of work here right in California like for things like hey maybe don't put drug offenders in jail maybe send them to rehab yeah i don't know like maybe that'll work better yeah. <laughs> stuff like that yeah like it's not even an off the beaten path solution it's just like the most logical conclusion to come to yeah yeah but again that's not as um profitable yeah i think weirdly the prison industrial complex is a great example of intersectionality or maybe anti-intersectionality <laughs> because you put someone in jail and then you just keep screwing them over which uh -huh. pushes them back towards jail or towards crime yeah which lets politicians be like oh we're tough on crime let's make jail punishments even worse yeah 
and it just all cascades into this whole perfect storm of garbage. Yeah, no, it is all garbage because, you know, you, you hear people say, I'm tough on crime, and they want to, you know, lock up drug offenders, but meanwhile, they don't give a shit about rape kits getting tested. Yeah. Was it the NYPD that has like a years long backlog on it's those? Everywhere. Of course. It is everywhere. And there are even politicians who fight legislation requiring it. There are female politicians who fight it. Yeah. I don't I don't fucking get it. You know, it's it's ridiculous. It's like, hey, we're all tough on crime, but you know what? It's not like raping a lady is that bad of a crime. <laughs> yeah. You know? Anybody who claims that they want a politician who's tough on crime, who doesn't also make that sort of thing a priority, is lying to themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, that's just one example. And that's an ever-present crime as well. Like it's yeah. extremely common. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's it's huge, and in a lot of cases, you know the DNA is is already there to catch the culprit like if they just tested it Mm -hmm. and then you could get that person maybe off the street before they commit more crimes (laughs) like so it's not just getting justice for a victim it's also preventing future victims Mm -hmm. but that's not a priority to people you know um, beating your children beating your wife is illegal but it's you know women call the police and they're not treated seriously or they're discouraged from their family even from pressing charges again are we really tough on crime yeah no we're not we're we're tough on certain populations you know it's also a way to buy off the police how so it's uh oh, the hey tough on crime is a way to buy off the police yeah 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 we're like hey we're gonna give you so much money to go buy your toys with that way you can call swat in to deliver every single arrest warrant mm-hmm. even though you guys kind of keep shooting the wrong person yeah but you know hey it's safer for you when it isn't actually like <laughs> you know like people in law enforcement you know, some people will say, hey, no, actually, it's a lot safer if you, like, do it during the day out on the street when they're not expecting it. Yeah. There's a lot less, you know, shootouts when it happens that way. But everyone's like, no, it's more fun to, like, dress up in our SWAT gear and bust in and start shooting the place up. Mm-hmm. You know, and and again, there's there's no like evidence or logic behind doing things that way but because we're quote unquote tough on crime that's how stuff is getting done and politicians win elections on it yeah joe biden he's a huge part of why everything's so messed up in the criminal justice system now Mm. joe biden and bill clinton you know it's it's, the uh 90s crime bill yeah 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 you know apparently while he was vice president he got obama to bring back a lot of that stuff too Mm -hmm. so it's it's certainly not just republicans it's democrats also i think a lot about um brescia meadows i think was her name the 14 year old who killed her abusive father Hmm. uh it was in florida like they put her on trial for it and everything Uh, i think she eventually accepted a plea deal and was uh 
I think it was hopefully for time served, which is still awful. Yeah. But essentially, like her father was beating her mother, her, her sisters, uh -huh. and her grades dropped. She ran away from home. She was like, "Look, this is happening." Yeah. And then no one helped for yeah. two months, and then the next time it happened, she shot her dad in the head, and the cops were like, "Well, that's murder." Yeah. It's like, well, you kind of forced her hand. Yeah. Like for a fourteen-year-old to make that decision is yeah. like heartbreaking. Yeah. Horrific. Yeah. I had not heard about that. It it does remind me of um, again another Florida situation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when uh, right on the heels of Trayvon Martin getting murdered, uh, the woman who shot in the air to scare off her abuser, mm -hmm. she oh, was yeah. arrested and was convicted. Which is absurd. Yeah. And Zimmerman gets off. Yeah. And becomes a celebrity. A hero. Yeah. <laughs> like just the the rank injustice drives yeah. me. It's just I keep wanting to call it a pet peeve, but that's like the small <laughs> <of the> word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, did you go to any other panels you thought were pretty interesting? Yeah. Um, uh, let's see here. Building a new vision for safety to overcome mass incarceration. That's kind of related to stuff that we've talked. Mm -hmm. about already um, the Sojourner Truth luncheon honoring Congresswoman Maxine Waters was amazing there was a little girl who uh, who who got on stage and did Sojourner Truth speech from what was it the, was it the Seneca Falls like convention no uh, it wasn't Seneca Falls but it was you know the ain't I a woman yeah. speech and it was amazing and it was adorable and everyone was in tears <laughs> And um, that was when Maxine Waters came out and got everyone chanting, impeach Trump. <laughs> there was a self-defense class taught by uh, I'm Wise, International Muslim Women's Initiative for Self-Empowerment. Uh, people might have seen them in the news after the election when so many Muslim women were being attacked and having their jobs pulled off them. And yeah. um, so, they started organizing around that and teaching self-defense classes. I was actually going to ask about that because um, I think Dearborn, Michigan has like the highest Muslim population in the U.S. or maybe yeah. like Middle Eastern generally population mm -hmm. in the U.S. Yeah. Was there a lot of representation as far as that goes? There was. Okay. Yeah, there was a lot, not just in that self-defense class. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in, in every... Uh, in everything that I went to, except the confronting white women thing, mm -hmm. there wasn't as much in there. <laughs> but um, yeah, saw a lot of jobs there. Yeah, and uh, that was another thing. It was really nice to be in a place where people just treated each other like human <laughs> beings. <laughs> Were there any? Did they go over any best practices or principles in the self-defense class that you could share? Like yeah, advice? mostly. Um, first step is to try and defuse the situation like mm -hmm. even if somebody deserves to get kicked in the nuts maybe it's not prudent to do that <laughs> in that moment time and place yeah um because the number one thing about self-defense is keeping yourself safe yeah um and another thing that they talked about was uh the importance of building up me muscle memory so if you do like a one hour self-defense class and they show you some moves oh if a guy grabs you here you want to do this just because you see that doesn't mean in the heat of the moment you're going to remember to do that yeah. unless you have the muscle memory it's and, a lot like sports where 
Like if you know how to do a jumper, like you have to keep drilling it so that when you need to do it, it's yeah. instantaneous. Yeah, you don't even think about it. Quick release. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Steph Curry of kicking people in the nuts. Yeah. <laughs> and they talked about um, uh, the best places to hit somebody if you're trying to immobilize them. Mm -hmm. So, so that wasn't was cool. much, as much about like just straight up fighting and knocking people out as like genuine self-defense. Genuine self-defense, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and the main instructor, I think she has a black belt in karate. Mm -hmm. I forget exactly what she said, but I think it was karate. Um, there was uh, social media training from Snapchat to the streets, uh, which, in this presentation was uh, more, um, wait, no, not, not that one. Where was it? It was a, maybe it was that one. I don't know. Anyway, they had a panel with some famous ladies who uh, use their fame as a platform. Mm -hmm. And one of them was, and I'm, I'm drawing blanks on names, but an actress from Orange is the New Black a couple of other women and uh, an Olympian, mm -hmm. the fencer. I can't remember her name, but I fucking love her. And <laughs> she was like the main reason I wanted to go. Yeah. It's like, she's a badass and she fights with a sword. I wanna go. <laughs> so that, um, yeah, it was kind of like how to use social media to do good and not just, you know, compose one devastating tweet and leave it at that yeah. you know i've been trying but it's, it's i know not you, you are really good at it but <laughs> i gotta break it to you yeah. the world has not changed was that also about covering protests with social media not so much actually oh, i mean to some degree yeah yeah um like one of the women was talking about how she she can bring attention to an issue just by being famous and having 500,000 followers on Twitter or whatever and going to events and posting photos from those events mm -hmm. and stuff. So yeah, um, I'm not entirely certain how I will translate that to my life <laughs> I don't have 500,000 followers. <laughs> You're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> sure, any day now. Um, but you know, it is something to keep in mind. Yeah, I remember, I don't think it was Occupy Oakland, maybe Three years ago, there were protests. I want to say that they were either Black Lives Matter related or mm -hmm. um, just generally police brutality related. Yeah. Because that's the world we live in. Yeah. And there was one guy who was streaming them all. Oscar Grant. You know, yeah. Uh, and he, while he was streaming it, it quickly went from like, check out this protest and these things that are happening to look at me being at this protest. Uh-huh. Yep. Which takes away from the, the point. Yep. Yeah. It, uh... It's slightly reminiscent of the people who take all the selfies at the concentration camps. Yeah. Like, yeah. hey, check it out. I went to this concentration camp. Let me pose all cute, you know? Yeah. And look how sad I am. Yeah, there's like a, a, I think a Twitter account that exists just to shame those people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it finds the photos like where they checked in to Birkenkow or yeah. something, you know? And, and uh, yeah. It's all just a shame. <laughs> oh, that is one thing. Uh, at the, I forget which panel it was, maybe the Confronting White Womanhood, but apparently there's a Twitter account. I just started following it when I heard about it. Uh, it's a Twitter account where basically if some white person is being totally ignorant on Twitter, mm -hmm. you know, a, a, a black person can say, you know what? 
I'm gonna tag in a white person and explain this <laughs> shit to you. And that's like all that this Twitter account is. And they're like, so you tag them and they're yeah. like, I got this. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I, I can't remember it right now, but um, I'll find it, yeah. yeah. Um, I can put it in the, in the show notes. Yeah, put it in the show notes, I'll find it afterwards. Cause that's totally a thing where like, guys won't listen to women until a guy says the same thing. Yes. Yes. It's like a super male feminist move. Yeah, there's white nonsense roundup. That's what it is. <laughs> it's at no white nonsense. So yeah, at no white nonsense. And it's called white nonsense roundup. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've like told friends of mine who are otherwise very like awesome hey, maybe you shouldn't park in that handicapped spot while you're running errands because you're not handicapped. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I'm just going to be a few minutes. And I'm like, well, you know what? My dad was handicapped and it was a problem for him, you know? And they're like, yeah. oh, I didn't know. I'm sorry, I'll move my car. It's like... You have to prove authority. Why, why, why did I have to tell you about my dad for you to realize that maybe it was fucked up to do that? Yeah, it's not 15-minute parking. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, why do you have to have a daughter or a wife to know that um, being, that harassing women is wrong? Yeah. You know? Anyway. Like, the proving bona fides, it's, it's like, I guess, what is it? Appeal to authority is like the, the phrase for it in an argument where it's like, this only counts as someone more important than me says it. Yeah. And that's the same kind of thing where it's like, this is true because I have, like, outside influence. Yeah. It, it's part of a bigger thing, though, like... Like with Syrian refugees, mm -hmm. people didn't care until there was a photo of a dead child washed up. Yeah, which was horrible. It was horrible. But they're like, once you make it about one individual, mm -hmm. people start to care. But if you tell them 100,000 people have been displaced and, you know, 20% of them have died or whatever, they're like, oh, whatever. That's just, you know, 20,000 people. It's yeah, not a real number. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it's hard to wrap your head around it. But if you give a face to it, like, people care more, which is super fucking weird. But I probably do it, too. Yeah. You know? Anyway. <laughs> so what were some of your, um, like, what did you learn? Let's just do it, go super open-ended. Like, what did you take away from the convention? I learned that there's still a lot more to do. Mm -hmm. I learned that uh, that everything really is interconnected, mm -hmm. like everything. And um, you know, the last thing that we went to before the the closing ceremonies was uh, art, civil disobedience, and direct action training. Okay. And it was uh, two guys from Justice League New York, mm -hmm. uh, which I guess is where some of the people who started the Women's March came out of. And so, you know, they talked about, okay, what's your issue? Okay, so wh what's your primary target? What's your secondary target? You know, and... Uh, how do you go about doing this? And they had us role play. They had us break out into groups and figure out what our issue was. And, and we presented a scenario where we protested this thing. And, and Were they hypothetical issues or like real life? Like real life things. Okay. 
and you know in one scenario like uh they're invading a, a or invading <laughs> <laughs> protesting school board like that was a secondary target a yeah. school board meeting and the school board called in security and the security is like you need to lower your voice and the woman's like oh i'm sorry and we're like don't let that work on you. Yeah. Don't fucking lower your voice. <laughs> Just keep yelling, you know? Yeah. And the instructor was like, I gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but anyway, it was it was like, okay, this is what we're going to do next. Yeah. This is how you go about affecting change. And um, so, yeah, that, that was all helpful stuff. I really like that they had a component on uh, for the kids. They had programming for kids. Awesome. To like get kids involved and and learn how to be engaged to protect themselves and others. And um, I learned that uh, I don't I don't even know how to describe it. I I learned that there's just so much more to do and that I want to be a part of it. And I'm not, as much as I learned there, I, I'm still not sure how to go about yeah. doing it. And, and when it was over, I just kept thinking, I, I don't want this to end. I want to stay here. I want to keep doing this. I'd stay here for another week. Yeah. You know, I, I just want to keep learning. And, um, and becoming more knowledgeable and and figuring out what to do next and where you can fit in yeah yeah yeah. and i have thought about it even before i went to this i've been thinking about it like like if i were going to pick one issue to kind of focus my energy on i i think it would probably be um prison reformer or you know Mm -hmm. the criminal justice system because I have done a lot of illegal things in my life and never gotten in trouble for it mm-hmm. in, you know, in terms of getting arrested or put in jail or anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I was never caught up in the legal system over any of it. And I know that a big part of that is because I'm a white woman. You know, I know that, you know, you, whenever I see a photo of Sandra Bland, she was the woman on her way to a job interview when she got pulled over whenever I see a photo of her I cry because what she got pulled over for and being you know frustrated with the cop for pulling her over I've done that before yeah I didn't end up dead I got a warning Mm -hmm. you know and the one time I saw a black woman get away with that she was like a district attorney <laughs> and she was like, you know, what's your name? What's your badge number? Here's who I am. And the cop's demeanor instantly changed. Yeah. It was like, oh, you're one of us. And also, you could probably get me fired. Yeah. So let me be respectful. <laughs> yeah. I I remember getting pulled over once for having a tail light out, and I was really cranky about it because I'd already gotten pulled over like earlier that day and gotten you know <laughs> fix it ticket and. My brother was a passenger in the car, and when it was over, he was like, you are super fucking rude to that cop. (laughs) And I didn't even realize it, but he was just like, okay, ma'am, well, you know, just go ahead and get it fixed as soon as you can. Yeah. And that's like what she got pulled over for. And close to home. Yeah, yeah, and you know, a lot of people uh, go to jail and have their lives basically 
over for abusing drugs Mm -hmm. and I'm a recovering addict, you know, and I had opportunities that other people didn't have, you know, for, for getting treatment and also not having to go through a legal system that isn't designed to help people recover from their addiction, mm-hmm. you know? And so, like, I know how fucked up that whole situation is, and it would also kind of be a way of for me to give back to society. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's pretty good. I We were talking earlier about how everything is too much right now. Yeah. Um, and there's so many things I feel really strongly about, but there are so many that I just feel overwhelmed at the same time. Because mm-hmm. um, focusing on one thing, like by, by its very nature, means that like, you're not focusing on something else. Yep. So it's sort of like, how do you find your path? How do you... Uh, there was a Kendrick Lamar song that messed my life up one year. <laughs> there was a skate where he talks about, like, are you misusing your influence? Yeah. And it's, you know, you exist in this world. People look up to you no matter who you are, what, or, you know, what you're doing. Like there's someone watching you and like paying attention. Mm-hmm. And are you giving them an example that they can follow or are you just leading them down the wrong path yeah. that you're on? Mm-hmm. And that's something that I think about a lot and haven't managed to square that circle, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, that's, that's exactly why I've tried to think about, okay, I want to get more involved, mm-hmm. but where do I even start? Mm-hmm. Like there are so many issues that are important to me, but I'm going to have to pick a way to focus my attention mm-hmm. and so I think I've picked a way to focus my attention now I just got to figure out how <laughs> that's actually a pretty good segue to your Twitter initiative uh, that you're yeah. doing for November <laughs> called uh, November <laughs> <laughs> and thank you again for <laughs> helping me arrive at that hashtag <laughs> yeah can you kind of sum up the idea behind it yeah um, th- there's kind of a backstory where i I'm, I'm a horrible consumer and I have way too many pairs of shoes, so I used to do this thing called Shoe-vember, where I would wear a different pair of shoes every day and I'd post it every day with this hashtag Shoe-vember. And um, after doing that a couple of years, it just felt so crass, and mm-hmm. especially in 2016 with how fucked everything was. Yeah. I just didn't want to do it, so I did kind of a parody of it instead. <laughs> Um, where it was, you know, different things that rhyme with Shoevember every day. And Elizabeth Shoevember. Yeah, Elizabeth Shoevember, <laughs> uh, Shmoovember. Um, I don't even remember them all. <laughs> I, I think it was some good, solid work, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this time I came back, and again, I really didn't want to, like, celebrate consumerism with Shoevember. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I don't buy nearly as many shoes now as I used to. I've like totally slowed my roll on that shit. <laughs> um, and, but you know, I just come back from the women's convention and I wanted to do something to highlight different people that I met at the convention or different um, issues that I'd become aware of or just anything, you know, women related basically. And like I saw a rough cut for a documentary about Flint and the water crisis there and mm-hmm. how it happened. Like how many different fucked up, bad criminal decisions politicians made for it to get as bad as it did. 
Yeah. And for it to still be as bad as it is. I think we just passed the thousand day mark like maybe a couple months ago. Yeah, it's been like a few years. Yeah. And it's still not better. And um, so one of the first things, it might have been the first day, I can't remember, but the, the first day that, or one of the first things that I, I posted was about, there was a woman interviewed in the movie who said that, you know, going into the crisis, you know, when they, the city finally started to admit that maybe the water wasn't good, mm-hmm. they were sending out warnings in English and nothing was translated. Oh. And so she, so none of the Spanish speaking population even knew that there was a problem. Yeah. So they were still drinking the water, they were still bathing in it, and you can't even bathe in it. It's mm-hmm. so bad. And, um, you know, just contact with skin can cause all kinds of problems. And so she took it upon herself. She's bilingual and she translated it all. That's cool. To make sure people knew. And I, th- I think they said that to this day there's still nothing being translated. Yeah. Um, but again, the problem is still ongoing in that now that there is government aid handing out water and handing out food, you have to show ID to get it. That's absurd. Yeah, so if, because they want to make sure that you're not going to all the different distribution points and yeah. getting more than your share. But that's like what you have to do to buy codeine. Yeah, like the, <laughs> there's, or, or decongestants. Like yeah. <laughs> there's a better, different way that you can go about doing that. Like you can uh, distribute vouchers to a household or something, Yeah. you know, but instead there, you know, a lot of places are demanding to see ID. I can't remember if it's universal or if it's just like federal government or Mm -hmm. just local government or something. But if you're undocumented, you don't necessarily have ID. Mm -hmm. And even if you do have some form of ID, the Trump administration is going to send ICE to these places yeah. to grab you up. They're sending ICE into hospitals to grab up children. In fact, the one they released a 10-year-old with cerebral palsy this week. Yeah. Who, maybe she was some kind of amazing threat to national security, <laughs> but I kind of doubt it. Yeah. Like, I've never met a 10-year-old I couldn't toss over my head, you yeah. know, one-handed. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's unconscionable. Yeah. People are going out without clean water and, and food mm-hmm. because they can't produce ID. And so she started a food bank that does not ask for ID. Mm-hmm. And um, she was there. Like they had a lot of people from the mo- movie there doing a Q&A afterwards, which was totally incredible. Like everyone was in tears. Yeah. Um, audience, everyone in the audience was in tears, you know, because it's all so fucked up and then you're getting kind of an update from them okay this is where we're at now and so after it was all over i i approached that woman and asked her her, i think she's goes by wani Mm -hmm. um she was telling me i i asked her do you have like a website or someplace that you can donate to because i want to donate and she said that would be great because we only have two thousand dollars left and we're going into winter time And um, so that was also inspiration for doing November, yeah. which is hashtag N-O-V-E-M-B-H-E-R. Which is surprisingly hard to pronounce. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had a whole debate earlier about how to pronounce it. <laughs> um, but I, I really like the November 
finish. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I retweeted something today. We were talking earlier about how like a fire tweet is not enough. Like it'll make yeah. you laugh, it'll make maybe make you feel good, but it's not making a difference. But I do think sharing things on Twitter is something that can genuinely make a difference. Like Black Lives Matter, a lot of that spread because of Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, that I think 2015, when there were all those police shootings on video, like a lot of that was online. Yeah. And I shared a thing you did, you put up today about um, the Girl Scouts saying like, don't make your kids hug people. Like mm -hmm. give them the choice. And if they don't want to do it, they shouldn't have to do it. Yeah. Like teach children agency. Yep. And a friend of mine who lives in New Zealand saw that tweet and was like, this is a really deft and clever way to teach kids about consent. Yeah. And like effective at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually saw that when um, Amber Garza posted it. Mm -hmm. recently on her Facebook page and it's something you know I've I've always thought about because you know a, I see parents all the time like give her a hug give her a hug yeah just give her a hug and the kid is like I don't really just hug her you know yeah. and I'm like no seriously they don't have to give me a hug and and I always tell like you do not have to give me a hug I don't like like I might put my arms out, like I'm receptive yeah. to getting a hug, but I don't come and loom over them like, <laughs> give me a hug, let me touch you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like how fucking creepy is that? Yeah, at least just offer a high five. Yeah, I'm all into high fives. I love <laughs> high fiving kids, especially when they're, they're still like not really sure how to high five. Yeah. <laughs> or they just do a soft touch. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, like I I saw Amber post that and I was like, that's a really good thing to include and also a way to um, share my thoughts on this, which I've, I've thought about a lot, but you know, hadn't really, I don't know, talked about or known how to. Yeah, I always call that process crystallizing. Yeah. It goes from like smoke in your head to like a firm idea. Yeah, yeah. And I think social media is great for kind of paying it forward like that. Yeah. And uh, I did look at the um, the Genovese County Hispanic Latino Collaborative, their website that I had posted. I looked at the web stat counter when I posted it. Yeah. And it was 1036, and now it's 1049. That's pretty cool. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like kind of disappointed that it's not more, but if it got their page more views, yeah, then that's that's a win. That's. What's the word? Um, social media can be a force multiplier. Mm -hmm. uh, where, so like I share one thing, it goes to three other people. If two of those people also share it, mm -hmm. and the third is like, you know, whatever, it's not my bag, that's still a net gain, yeah. you know? And if one of those people has 500,000 followers, yeah. then like one little tweet is in front of, you know, half a million people. It's important to talk in like such a clear way that people get what you're saying. Yeah. Because you know everything's going to be misconstrued or misunderstood, but if you have like a clear heart for what, clear foundation for what you're saying, then I think that more people will get it. Yeah. Like it's less muddy. Yeah. I always appreciate that you like boost my signal on all yeah. this stuff. <laughs> I try. Yeah. No, you do. It's definitely appreciated. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's also kind of why I, you know, for years I never talked about it publicly that I'm a recovering addict. Like, people in my life know, but I never talked about it online, and then I was like, you know what, fuck it, I'm just going to talk about it. I mean, for one thing, there's such, 
lack of, uh, I don't know if respect is the right word, but people blow your anonymity online all the time. Like, yeah. like 12 step programs haven't really figured out an anonymity yet very well. Um, online, uh, in the, you know, the, the social networking age. So part of it was like, ugh, I give up, throwing <laughs> my hands up. But also part of it is that since I've been open about it, um, people have reached out to me privately. Like, mm-hmm. hey, I am struggling with this also. Like, can you help? Or what did you do mm-hmm. to, to get clean or whatever? And, and so whenever I kind of wonder, should I have done that? Should I have said that publicly? And then I get one of these calls. I'm like, oh, fuck, yeah, it was totally worth it. Yeah. You know, putting ourselves out there like that. It's kind of the whole Me Too thing also. You know, how many how many kids, you know, girls and boys have been destroyed by inner turmoil over something and they didn't realize that it was something that the person sitting next to them was also struggling with? Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think that demystifying addiction, I think it's the right phrase, is a really good thing. Yeah. Um, just from talking with you, like, I've learned a lot from you personally. And when, I think I told you this before, but when my grandfather passed away earlier this year, um, I found out that I knew a lot more recovering addicts than, mm. I was related to a lot more recovering addicts oh, wow. than I ever suspected. Because they came to the wake and it was, you know, like it was a lot of one day at a time. You know, they talk about, you know, it's been 27 years since I've had a drink with Jesse, wow. my grandfather. And that's cool. Yeah. You know? That is awesome. But, um, how do you want to go out? Anything else you want to mention? I want to say this is something I have to keep telling myself even when I feel like everything is pointless and hopeless and and you know we're fighting against an <laughs> an overwhelming tide. Yeah. <laughs> um I have to keep going. Mm-hmm. Because if I don't I don't know. I, this is going to sound overly dramatic, but I might as well just kill myself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, that, that sounds so overly dramatic. Yeah. But if I'm just going to give up, like, I'll be miserable. I'll be so miserable. Mm-hmm. And so um, I feel like I, I have to keep going. I have to keep trying to be part of the solution. And, um, you know, in whatever way I can. Mm-hmm. And if all I can do in a given moment is post about something on Twitter, then I'll do that. If I can, you know, go to a protest, I can do that. Hell, maybe I'll I'll ruin my no prison record thing and (laughs) never getting arrested thing and (laughs) finally get arrested at a protest, you know? I don't know. I, I gotta do something because sitting in my house looking at Twitter and how fucked up everything is and and what's the you know crisis or scandal du jour mm-hmm. you know also I want to tell people to not get distracted by our dipshit president and whatever stupid ass Twitter thing he's doing today yeah because yeah you can't ignore what the you know leader of the free world is saying on Twitter, but at the same time, it's all designed as a distraction. 
so that people behind the scenes can get away with more because we're so distracted by what the the village idiot is doing. <laughs>